HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Haley Painter, the co-CEO and co-founder of Painterland Sisters, an organic skier yogurt company that also happens to be my favorite new product in years. Haley and her sister Stephanie returned to their fifth-generation family farm in Pennsylvania to support the family business. And in 2022, the sisters began packaging their thick, creamy yogurt in cups. And the rest is history. Welcome, Haley. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Um, before we get into sort of like the zaniness of like the last 18 months or whatever it was since you put your like, you know, ambrosia into a cup and started selling it, can you, I, I think you might be sort of the first actual family farmer who has a product. Um, I did have um, the founder of Stonyfield Farm on, but even he wasn't like the farmer. Um, So I'd love you to give a little background on sort of state of agriculture, family farming in particular, and I think really even narrower, like what's kind of been going on in the dairy industry in the last several years that you and Stephanie are sort of on a mission to, you know, solve. I guess, in your own way. Yeah. So the dairy industry is such a fun industry to be in. We're we're so happy. We're fourth generation on our farm. The fifth generation's running around. And the cool thing about family farms is it allows family members to work and play together. So we Mm kind of grew up running around, feeding the calves, feeding the cows, (laughs) um, hiking up the hills to bring those cattle in. 
uh, working the crops and the soils and doing all the things. And we didn't, we thought it was just, you know, fun and games, but it was actual work too. Um, And so we really get to, as family farmers, you get to be around your family while, while really creating a difference and making a product for the rest of the world to enjoy to I didn't realize how special it was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Like you just kind of grew up on it. And yeah. since then we found out 2% of the country is actually directly involved in agriculture. Yeah. And I remember in my, cause I, you know, I did this master's program it, at the beginning, I believe of the 20th century, that number was closer to like 60%. So like in the last hundred or so years, it's gone from, I mean, it might've even been higher. It went from like pretty much over, like significantly over half to 2%. Um, That's like a massive shift in how we get our food and the food system in general. It is such a huge shift. We have fun facts in the back of our yogurts. And one of those is in the 1850s, nearly every family had a cow like a family cow (laughs) and I think we can all say we don't even though the social media is going crazy where everyone wishes they had a family cow now (laughs) with the blowout (laughs) yeah exactly yeah that's my kids are sending me all these like blow-dried cows because my (laughs) dog looks a little bit like a blow-dried cow and so it's very funny but there's been I mean dairy has gotten you know sorry to say it but like it's ass kicked in the last couple of years (laughs) with you know a lot of stuff going on and I know that you guys were not um, untouched by that. So what what was the sort of, you know, mission for you guys? What were you working to, to turn around a little bit? Yeah. So although the dairy industry is such a needed thing, um, we, agriculture is really the backbone of our country. And I think we forget that as a society. Totally. Um, and in the, you know, past couple decades, you know, in the early 2000s, we were really struggling with animal rights activists. It was all about the animals and um, giving them a voice and making sure that we were treating them well. And the family farm and dairy farmers specifically got probably the worst wrath. Um, and then in the early, you know, what's happening now, it's all about the soil and mm-hmm. climate change. Um, that really was in the early like probably 2015, that was really aggressive about how how dairy farms and dairy cows are one of the leading factors in the climate problems. And today, we are finally getting some traction where, okay, the dairy cow is not to blame for that. Mm-hmm. Dairy, like an animal husbandry is so great from these family farmers. And there's a difference in different types of industry. Right. And dairy cattle can actually give back to Mother Earth can create a viable future and sustainability. Um, the huge hot topic right now is carbon sequestration. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we get carbon out of the air? And grazing cattle and these old dairy farms are great at that because mm-hmm. these cattle walk up these hills where we can't live. Humans can't put houses. We can't grow corn and soybeans and plant-based products. Um, but cattle can graze and take really poor nutrient like foods Mm -hmm. um, and grasses and turn them into a value-added, really nutrient-dense product for the rest of the world to consume. Um, And it's very bioavailable. And it's just cool because we're starting to get better traction. But as far as like 
the struggles in the industry, the dairy industry, it's actually, it's a crisis of what's happening. Yeah. It's like the last 10 years, something like 1,700 dairy farms, dairy farm families yeah. have went out of business. Yeah. And that's not by choice no. all the time. No, for sure. It's interesting because, you know, I mean, you know, again, everyone hears me talk about like, I'm 51. Like, I think I say it almost every podcast. But I think part of the challenge that we have now is like, you know, with social media, everything is made so reductive. Glass is good. Plastic's bad. Like, that's just not always the case, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Plant-based everything is good you know, animal products, bad. I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly that we know now that that's just a load of, you know, (laughs) crap. Like there's a lot that's just like, it's made too simple. And usually these things don't include the voices of the people that are actually doing it well. (laughs) You know, they're just the loudest voices. And one thing that I all, like, I remember when, you know, and this was like 2012, 2015, 14, 2015, like there was so much discussion about the animals and then there was discussion about the land, but there is still so little discussion about the people and the labor. Yes. You know, and (laughs) it's fascinating to me that we as a culture have learned how to sort of understand the value of a better product, but we haven't really started to understand the value of better practices among labor. Like we, we don't as a culture pay for that. And it's, it's kind of part of the bigger problem that we're facing today, I think in a lot of ways. I think so too. It's these extreme concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, in the early 2000s, it was all about the animals and now it's all about the soil. And if you heavily switch, like focus on just one aspect, you're going to, kind of balance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. completely. Um, And so what we haven't focused on is exactly right, our communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you want a a farm to be 100% have the best cattle, you're going to suffer the soil and the communities because you're putting all your energy into that. But what we truly believe believe in is symbiotic relationships amongst the people, the communities, the soil health, Mm-hmm. Um, and the animal health, because right. with that, that's when you can really create a strong return. It might not be the best yield. It might not have the most amount of protein. Um, it might not be able to completely give back to the soil as much, but it'll do everything way more sufficiently. And with right. that, we can be more sustainable altogether. Yeah. And so it seems like, you know, me sort of like sifting through, it seems like you kind of, you and Stephanie kind of had, I would say, two missions and tell me if I'm wrong. One is you wanted to create a product that brought in some value add into the farm, right? Like you you didn't just want to sell the milk to co-ops anymore and correct me if I'm wrong. You wanted to make a product that you had more control over that brought in extra revenue. Yes. And then secondly, you really wanted to do this larger mission of connecting consumers with your farm and your story, but family farms in general, and to sort of break down 
that misunderstanding when people think about agriculture. There's a vast difference between the people that are doing family farming like you are and sort of more industrial, you know, corn to ethanol farming that, you know, people is not even really, I don't even know if you can call it agriculture, but whatever. <laughs> Would you say those are sort of like the micro mission and the macro mission? Yeah, exactly. So we just set out, how do we keep our farm sustainable for generations to come? Mm -hmm. And with that, it expanded out our farm and the other farms in the area, because that really is what will provide community support um, in the industry to really thrive. And then additionally, how do we connect consumers to the direct source of their food, the American farmer? Um, You know, people want a transparent product. They want real nutrients and they want the most amount of nutrients that they can get. Um, They don't want products that are being diluted um, and byproducts being sold off. And so we just wanted to provide this connection um, to empower consumers and farmers and bridge that gap because there's way too many of us in the middle between Mm -hmm. brands and distributors and stores. Like Mm -hmm. we just really need to do a better job. How do we connect the people eating the food and the people making the food? Yeah, not Um, that complicated. Empowering both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I was like missions and you're like, or you could just do this. Yeah. One <laughs> last question before the break. Can you just explain the difference between skier, Greek yogurt, Persian yogurt, 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 all the yogurts? Yeah. So dairy has always been a really nutrient dense food, but it's so perishable. And so yogurt has been made in all different regions throughout our world um, as a way to preserve milk for a longer time and so each area kind of had different techniques to preserve it um and we know about regular yogurt um isn't really strained it's a little thicker or it's a little thinner and then greek yogurt came along um, and we're really well exposed to it's a strained type of yogurt Mm -hmm. and so you take your regular cultured milk which is um yogurt and you strain out those water, the water, and so it makes it thicker and all those nutrients more concentrated. Right. The difference between Greek and Icelandic are the different types of cultures being used to actually mm. um, sour, you know, create that thickness in the milk. Mm-hmm. And then additionally, um, the process that we filter or we strain out the water is different. So a lot of the Greek yogurts in our com- in our country spin it really fast to take the water out. It's called centrifuging. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the Icelandic technique um, that was made in Iceland in the 90s is called ultrafiltration. So we actually filter out the water and we are able to keep a lot more of the nutrients, like all of the micronutrients, all Mm. of the whey protein, which is actually lost in the process of making Greek yogurt here um, on a large scale in the country. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's really delicious. I just (laughs) want to throw that in. And I'm not like a huge yogurt eater. I have one yogurt that I'm obsessed with. It's called white mustache. And it's like my friend who's, um, it's like a, it's Persian. It's like Iranian yogurt and she, but she literally hand strains pretty much like every batch. Uh It's not exactly scalable. It is amazing, but this comes so (laughs) close. You know, this is like really good stuff, um, that you can scale, which is the point. Um, okay, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back and we're going to talk about everything since you guys decided to, hey, let's make a yogurt. <laughs> Perfect. We'll be right back.
I'm back with Haley Painter from Painterland Sisters. Okay, so product is amazing. You have a very good mission for your family farm, for your community, for family farmers in general. And so you and Stephanie were like, yep, let's do this. And then what? I mean, what? it's not easy getting a product off the ground. Like you said, there are so many pieces who take what, you know, people call a bite of the apple. It, it, everything is like overly complex, even though, you know, it is complex. But I mean, it's amazing that in 2023, uh, this is the system that we use to get our food. And yet I have no alternatives to a better system. So it is what it is. But, <laughs> you know, sales and distribution, what were the big learnings there? What would you say are some things that you wish you had known earlier? And, you know, how long is your shelf life and how much does that impact stuff? Completely. So when we got into this, we had no understanding of this industry. Yeah. Our industry is the CPG industry, consumer packaged goods. Mm-hmm. We found out that term like four months after launching a yeah. CPG company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were by far very disconnected. We. Yeah. We use a co-manufacturer to make our yogurt. Um, we didn't know what that was. Right. Um, and so we, we really learned as we went. Um, you get a lot of consultants and advisors. They're great to give you different perspectives. But ultimately, like making the decision to follow your original vision, mm-hmm. keep going, is how we've kind of navigated through all these crazy um, rides in this world. And honestly, it is such a crazy industry. I, yeah. Wish people just understood starting your own company in the food industry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is like wild. Well, it's funny because when I started this podcast, it was very much like, you know, what I always say is like, it's not how I built this, but like, how on earth am I going to build this? And after five years of doing it, I feel almost like it's like how to not drive yourself totally insane, spend millions of dollars, and then be very sad. Like that, that's basically what I would like to title it. And I don't know, like times like these, you know, it's hard, it's hard to sound super optimistic, even when things are going great, and people love your things. It It's still hard, you know, you would think that those two things would be a little bit more connected. Okay, we have a product that's really selling that people really love. It should be super. Now we're going to just go up and to the right. But <laughs> that doesn't seem always the way it goes. So, you know, what it, you know, talking to yourself before 2022, what would you say like these are a couple things like you need to know, you know, earlier me I think I honestly, I'm so tickled with the decisions we've been made. <laughs> tickled is like a word my grandma uses. <laughs> it's a good one because it's very lovely. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm like I'm, harassed and itchy by the decisions <laughs> I've been made, but I'm glad you're tickled. That's great. <laughs> well, I just like, I think we, I feel really fortunate because yeah. we didn't know the industry. And it's really when you go into an industry that, does have a lot of obstacles and opinions, mm-hmm. and this is how you do it. We came from such a different world. Like, okay, we're farm girls. We know how to think outside the box. 
We mm-hmm. only know how to think outside the box. So yep. when people try to put us in a box, it's it makes it a little difficult for us. And yep. so um, we've really led with how, just trying to answer our vision and our mission. How do we get this thing going for generations to come? Mm-hmm. Like what's best for our consumers? What's best for us? And we just ask everybody. And we yep. are just very open, authentic. And I, I'm just so, like when we first started, we did not know that so our minimum our our shelf life is only 60 days mm-hmm. two months yeah it is crazy yeah because our minimums are around sixty thousand units mm-hmm. a week right <laughs> and so we went from zero to a hundred and we're like all right our pennsylvania small community can eat sixty thousand yogurts a week and we quickly realized all right we'll have to expand statewide they'll be able to eat it Right. And then we got region-wide, and um, two months later, we were selling national because a national it, we need national support in order to consume 60,000 right. yogurts every single week. So, <laughs> like, that was one of those naive moments we had, and we've had so many. Yeah. Um, but, like, we're not to the point where we're looking back thinking, all right, what could we have done differently? I wish we would have done that because we are, like, full-on – sprinting in the rain, holding our pants up because our belt dropped. Like we are just going. So we can't fully like look back and think about it yet. But I'd say our biggest, our biggest thing is just keep asking people, just keep knowing, knowing your worth, knowing that no one has done this before. Take everyone's perspectives um, and just keep moving and pivoting um, because something will break. Something will come up. There's opportunities. You might think of the same problem every single day. And then by the, you know, 60th day in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., you find a solution. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that a lot of this is just, you know, you know, I, I wish, you know, sometimes I wish that, it, I guess the point is, is like, there really are no shortcuts. There's no hacking it. There's no, you know, way to really save going through the process. It's kind of like you can tell a kid don't jump on the bed, don't jump on the bed, you're going to fall off the bed. And until they actually just fall off the bed, and they're like, Oh, I shouldn't jump on the bed. Like, it's very hard for anybody to know how to help a new company, even, you know, I would say there's probably some major things like you want to have gross margins that make the whole thing viable at all. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) But there, there, you know, there's just it's just trial and error, really. But going back to, you know, I was thinking about it when I was writing out the questions. And again, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like had you all launched this when money was flowing and VCs were all over everything and everyone was a consumer investor, it almost might've set you up, you know, almost not the right way. Like the fact that this is a strange time in the world of funding and that everyone is so focused on those margins and profitability means that it's it's cool now to think that way. And is there... I don't know, is there something that's been actually kind of like positive for you? Because you are building, you're not building something to scale really quickly, grow, 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 and then 
you know, sell. From my understanding, you're really trying to build the next five generations of your family's business. You're just trying to understand the best way to do that for today's world. I mean, is that is that too simple? No, I think it's actually super correct. And I didn't know the industry before this. I mean, I obviously know. Um, <laughs> it's hard to find investors. Yeah. <laughs> like I had, I didn't really know cause I wasn't really looking for investors before. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been financed through, you know, bank loans and the percentage rates have increased like crazy. Like that's been really right. rough. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I think we're a little too, too young to realize how good that we could have had it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's better. But while we're looking for investors, like our goal, like, and we're talking to different companies, our goal is how do we become profitable? How do we keep this around for generations? And talking to other founders, there's a lot of mindset that's like, how do I, how do I find the niche, scale this thing and sell it? Like have all my hard work pay off. And that, that is a very common mindset in our industry that I was very surprised to hear Mm -hmm. about. I think it's something like 90% of the food on the grocery store shelves is owned by 10 companies. Yep. Um, And to me that like diversity creates Mm -hmm. stability and we really need diversity. We need more brands that are around for a long time. We need investors that want to support that and they want to have an out that is, you know, distributions of profits, dividends, um, you know, yeah, like a good old fashioned business, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then we'll all be actually way more lucrative in the long run, financially, yeah. impactfully, all of the above. And so um, that's how we've always wanted um, and sought out, you know, our company. We'd love to have um, funded it totally ourselves or through debt financing. Um, but having this supplement of looking for investors right now, it's it's actually opened so many doors and connections. Mm-hmm how we decided to do it was through crowdfunding and everyone's like, well, how would you do that? Well, that way we can really connect. We can, we're able to advertise that we're looking for investors. We're able to be transparent about what we're doing and it's led to the coolest connections. Um, And we probably have like 270 investors. Some of them are um, grocery store chain owners. Mm -hmm. Some of them own distribution centers, some of the largest ones. Um, and it's yeah. just really cool to now have these connections, um, because of being able to yep. use our voice very freely. Yeah. And it also goes back to, you know, the building community is a real mission and there's a, there is a transparency. It's almost like, I mean, people are coming to build your barn, literally. <laughs> yeah. And, no, I mean, like I... <laughs> It is. It's beautiful, you know. And then we can all stay in it. <laughs> right. And you're not building it like cheaply and too fast to miss building it on a very sturdy foundation. And I think that's what's happened, you know, in a lot of, you know, unfortunate scenarios in the last several years, you know, and and I think a lot of that is shifting, which is a good thing net net, but you know, challenging in a lot of ways too. I feel like you also, you know, you, you all also sort of tapped into agricultural grants. Is that right at the beginning? Yeah. So we applied for grants at first because we didn't know anything about 
you know, writing a business plan or right. again, what a CPG world was or right. anything in this industry. So tapping into grants um, that we found through our communities actually helped us um, get enough funding to hire the experts to help us with with our business plans, um, yep. presenting what we wanted to do and craft our opportunities. Um, and we we just actually recently got it a larger USDA grant and are yeah. going to continue to go after some of these agriculture opportunities. Very cool. And I think one of those, you know, there are grants there. I mean, there are packaging grants, there are sustainability grants, you know, they take some weeding through and, you know, a little bit of administrative, you know, nightmare. But (laughs) I mean, they, they do exist. And I feel like that's something that is a little bit underutilized. Um, Even if you're, you know, if you if you were coming up with a system that is more sustainable at a co-packer and there's a machine and you can make a case to, you know, whether it's the state of New York in my case or the state of Pennsylvania, that that will be good and keep jobs in New York or whatever. It, there are there are these things. It's just a stone that I don't know that a lot of people know to look under. Um, and, you're, you know, there are a lot of them that don't necessarily apply, but you know, where your, where your offices are, where your co-packer is, what kind of equipment you need to invest in, how many jobs you're producing, what kind of materials you're using, you know, is all of your, are all of your ingredients locally sourced? Are you a woman owned company or minority owned company? Like I've just been, it's just something that I've, I want people to put in their back pocket a little bit. Um, because they're, they're out there. Okay, I want to go back to sales for a second. So going back to, okay, you were like, yay, we made this yogurt. We have 10,000 or 60,000 of it a week to sell. Or is that what you said? Yeah, that's kind of our minimum. All our right. co-packer helped us. Um, so we, he lowered it for the first couple months. But yeah, that's that's his ideal minimum. Okay. <laughs> so, so how what did you you know, where did you start and and what kind of infrastructure, I guess, have you built out to sell it nationally and, you know, get into those new stores? And I guess the second sort of follow-up question to that is, I would imagine that buyers would love you and love the story and love the product, but I would also imagine that the yogurt shelf is sort of spoken for. Um by a couple of the very big players. And I'm wondering how hard that has been for you, like to really make the case to come in, to be something new, to be a little bit more premium, to have less marketing dollars. You know, it, it's, it, is, a, it is a big category and I feel like it doesn't have a lot of players. It does not. It's one of the most saturated places in the grocery store shelves. It's really highly competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew that going in. So we always led with, how do we lead with quality? How do we right. lead with what we're good at? Um, yeah. and focus on that. So I guess our, our target wasn't, how do we get the largest? Mm-hmm. Um, even though we are now the fastest growing yogurt company in the natural grocery channels cool. year over year. So that's really a, a good side effect of just following with like focusing on premium yep. and what we can offer. 
And so we crafted a product that we felt was the most nutrient dense, was the most transparent, was woman owned, was farmer owned. Um, we knew the source of the milk. There's very few that could check off the boxes like ours. And then on top of it, we added billions of probiotics, a really expensive strain. Mm-hmm. Um, and we made it lactose free because 65% of our country has a lactose sensitivity. So we crafted something really pure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that we knew could could lead. Um, and then we had our hands on our creative marketing on, on the actual label. So each label is actually a coloring page on the back. Hmm. Um, and we went through like probably over 150 re-editions of that dang label. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so small. Like how do you really make it stick out? Right, so right. We wanted like our feminine, um, natural voice to pop out when consumers saw it on the shelves. So how we got started was we started with country stores in Pennsylvania and then expanded out to Giant. Giant's our local conventional Mm -hmm. grocery store chain here, but they really supported us for our farmer-owned PA-preferred roots. Um, Then we got connected with Central Market. Mm-hmm. And shortly after, probably four months after launching our product, we became national with natural grocers. Mm-hmm. The month following, you know, within five months, we became national with Sprouts. Yeah. Um, and that opened the doors to the large distributors, um, distributor Kehi, and then right. Albert's Organics. Um, and then um, the, we, we continued to expand within the first 12 months of selling our first cup of yogurt, we sold $1.3 million worth of this stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. Now we're a little over a year and a half old, and we're in almost 2,000 stores nationwide. We use both Kehi and Unify. We're we're in their diversified trade programs, up next programs, um, and try to participate in as many, I guess, impact awards opportunities there are, the pitch slams, the next year awards. I know. I was really annoyed that you guys – didn't win the pitch slam that I met you at. I literally, when you all went to the pitch slam and Stephanie was very pregnant. I was like, there are these two beautiful farm women that are like literally selling the most beautiful product on the planet. Like there's no way they're not coming home with a big dub. But I don't know. I'm, we don't even have to talk about who did because I didn't even ask, but that was annoying. But yes, you should win every award. I seriously, I was like, I, it, it, it has all of the pieces, like pieces and parts of what, what people want to win, you know, a great story, a great mission, a great product, you know, um, all of that, you know, I, I mean, I guess that leads me to sort of, you know, the second piece is going back to you know, connecting the consumer with the family farm and connecting the consumer with your farm and your community. A lot of that, I would imagine, is done through content. You walk outside or you film a cow (laughs) or you show whatever. But are you finding it? I find it hard. I guess the question is, do you agree? Sometimes the connection between the people that love you online and follow the story and open the emails, even if they want to, sometimes it's hard to get that connection to in-store. You know, it's like people talk about sort of fidgetal space. Like there are all these programs and like Aisle is one of them, right? Where 
they're trying to connect sort of the way that people consume content and the way that people look for new products is digitally. But, you know, then they get to a store and there's a gazillion things on the shelf and you have a couple of SKUs there and it's a little more expensive. Like, are you, did that surprise you the way that it surprised me? Do you find it's like, once it's on the shelf, it just kind of rolls off and everything's honky-dory. Are there things you're learning about, you know, where it does better than other stores or who it does better when it's next to you or, you know, all of that? We, yeah, it's been, like I said, a crazy ride. Yeah. Um, getting on shelves is the hardest part, not mm. selling into the stores, Mm-hmm. But making sure that the stores are stocked, not because mm-hmm. we don't have great inventory. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, as a small startup brand in a perishable world, yep. and, a, and it, it moves fast, right? The velocities, the pickup and yogurt, um, you get a lot of sales um, really quick. I was talking to a pickle company at our last trade show, and mm-hmm. they were talking about how often they make product and how many like velocities they move a week. And I'm like, this is such a different world. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, it really, it's focused crazy. on so many different things. So right. really, our our focus is on how do we keep double checking that our products actually on these shelves, like it's yep. getting from these distribution warehouses to um, a place where consumers can pick it up and buy it. And once it's there, consumers really love it. Right. Um, we're getting a lot of great feedback. They, it's this wave of, we call them sisters. We have mm. the sisterhood of people that are really excited to try it across the country um, and really loyal followers. Uh, we just have to keep on, you know, the supply yep. chain of, hey, let's get this thing stocked. Why are you out of stock? What's happening here? Yeah. Because um, as a small fry in a big industry, it's easy to, to be forgotten about. And so yeah. we spend a lot of time, you know, checking on other people. Hounding UNFIs. Yeah. yeah. That's what, <laughs> a lot of us spend a lot of time hounding UNFI. We're like, wait, how come velocity has gone up 20% year over year, but we're, you know, UNFI ordered less this month, you know, what, how, where, what's the disconnect? And honestly, every month I'm like trying to figure out, is it us to them? No. Is it them to the retailer or, or not even, is it them to their own warehouses? Which warehouses is it? You know, it's, I mean, it's, is it stores just stocking it? It's a, it's a bunch. And so like our biggest thing that we've um, done is like connections and networking are everything, including with, you know, our partners with the distribution chains. And so, mm-hmm. um, we've had, a, at first it was difficult to navigate, but now we've set up like weekly and bi-weekly meetings with them. And so we can kind of work through them live because, um, they're using a lot of AI and systems mm-hmm. like that. And so it just gives them a second chance to like, kind of pay attention to a smaller brand that might get lost because, it, we're, when you're so new, you don't have time to get a good um, system set up. System, exactly. Yeah. So by working with them, by having those calls, it's really helped us um, yeah. kind of everyone manage it a lot better. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. I mean, it, it just knowing what their inventory is, you know, I mean, knowing uh, for us, it's, it's a little different because it's, you know, if they, even though we we're still fresh. We do have a little bit longer of a shelf life. So 
sometimes if their inventory, you know, if we see like three orders a month from Sprouts, let's say, we kind of know that the next month we're probably not going to see that again. They're probably stocking up for something or they're replenishing or something. But knowing that for every single, you know, one of your customers is it's it's a lot of checking in and checking up and looking into the data and you know oh yeah planning and all of that i i think that's like one of the hardest parts we get orders every single week (laughs) some people like don't like some brands i think that's the biggest thing you asked about like if you could tell yourself something what would you tell yourself it would be like do you have to get into perishable (laughs) right i think we all I think everyone who's in fresh is like, oh, this is why people are like, oh, you know, yeah, but, it's a totally different world, yeah. but our velocities can be right. so much better. Totally. And I think the ring, you know, when you're high velocity and a little higher ring, you know that you're, you know, category accretive and that, that seems to be the ticket, you know, as long as you also have the margin there, you know, mm-hmm. um, and going back to the content, you know, what, how are you all managing that? Like, is it just, do you, do you and Stephanie just film your lives basically? I don't have Instagram, so I don't know. Um, but how has that been for you? And, and where have you found that people are really engaging the most? Yeah. Let me start with saying you are saving hours of your life, not having Instagram. <laughs> No, I know. I it's it was a conscious choice, and I was like on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon, and then finally I was like, I don't, I don't need to look at it. Thank goodness for work. Like my team is amazing. If there's something they want me to see, they will show it to me. And other than that, there's no scrolling for me. Oh yeah, yeah. We have an awesome team as well who do a lot of our um, content planning. Mm-hmm. We use a lot of our voice through that, and so. Um, we, we do a series of photo shoots and video shoots a year that we can utilize for the quarter. And then the organic content, all the farm stuff that's organic, I, I pretty much take or I get support with um, my family from. But I just go outside, snag a couple <laughs> pictures of the fall leaves, throw it on our um, our iPhone cloud photos, and right. then our team can just take it, splice it add it up. Sometimes I'll add a quick story, but I like having a team that can support with that is awesome, but it's really brings a low budget when you're able to produce the content yourself yes, and be able for to sure. use storytelling. Yep. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, you have a real story to tell too, you know, I think a lot of businesses, you know, sort of following in the midday squares, you know, that sort of let's tell the story behind the founders and making it. And I think people are interested in that, but I think they've also seen that now a couple of times before. And, you know, you can't beat cows. I just don't. You, can be, <laughs> you, you can't, can't be, be fluffy cows. baby cows. <laughs> yeah, that, you definitely can't be baby cows. Um, Except for your, piglets. Yeah. People, I randomly throw a piglet in there and yeah. I'm like, oh, people are going to go crazy. <laughs> my friend Ellen has a pet pig and he's amazing. But that's another, she, she's been on. Um, what does your father think of this? I mean, you, ostensibly you all came back from college 
and Stephanie from like a couple of years out to come and just help him run the dairy farm. And then you were like, hey, dad, we want to make yogurt. Like what, where, how did, how does the, how does the older generation feel about all of this? My, my dad is so proud. When you think of someone with a twinkle in his eyes and a big jolly, like grin and giggle, um, but who works excruciatingly hard day in and day out and thinks of himself last, that is my dad. Um, and my whole family's really supportive of it. And he's just really proud. And the reason like he's known, we've been planning this since 2018. We didn't launch Mm -hmm. the product till 2022. So four years of planning is quite a lot. Um, We wanted to make sure we had the right niche in the system. And it was to to ensure that our family had this voice and farmers and consumers have this voice Mm -hmm. uh, to really connect. And so we wanted to make it right. Um, so after I graduated college, I actually moved to New Jersey. I made cheeses and yogurts and I sold them in the farmer's markets in Manhattan and Hoboken and a bunch of the, the markets around there. I would do demos in Whole Foods. And so Mm -hmm. I got a lot of experience. Um, so he knew about it before that. It was just like, what product are we going to actually launch? Right. Cause it could have been cheese, I guess. Oh yeah. If you saw my background. I have a giant. I I, I saw before we went off of, yeah. (laughs) I'm, yeah. I I happen to eat a lot of cheese. I love cheese, but the, I'm marrying a man who is like obsessed with cheese. So (laughs) my cheese world, you know, as an American who grew up in New York, I didn't, I've, I'd never had unpasteurized cheese. I never had cheese from a particular grass that, only grew in one area for a month you know there's like mm-hmm. there's that a eats lavender yeah I mean it's just <laughs> you know I and I didn't know it was you know it had all these like health qualities it also has some saturated fat but um so yeah I'm a cheese person myself but was that even was that on the table like were there did you all have like a list of like dairy products that you could have made and you settled on skier we had multiple businesses plans before mm-hmm. we fully launched this one. And mm-hmm. the very first one we did, we had designed to make every single dairy product besides yogurt because I knew it was super perishable and right. I didn't like yogurt. <laughs> right. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to make one that we really liked and that is the niche. The reason I don't like yogurt, I just don't like the yogurt on the grocery store right. shelves. Like I like yogurt that I make on my stove. Yep. And yep. so making one that was really pure was the niche um, that the country needed. And then we could really focus on one product and sp- expand it out um, versus doing all the different products that right. we designed. We actually designed a processing plant, oh. um, got quoted out to $8 million before we ever even had a brand or wow. anything. So we're like, hmm, maybe we just launch a brand first. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Are there other things that now you think are, you're going to make, like, are you going to, you know, do freeze dried yogurt chips or frozen yogurt or anything? I mean, or I don't, you don't have to tell me exactly, but are there, is there that type of plan or are you sticking with yogurt for now? I love how those are the first two you thought of, especially the freeze dried yogurt chips. Well, I was thinking non, <laughs> I was thinking no fridge, no freezer. Oh. How do we make yogurt, you know, non-perishable yes. and shelf stable? <laughs> and then I was thinking about little, I don't know, like 
you know, like astronaut style melt in your mouth yogurt for babies. But like the cheese wisp, but yogurt wisps. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know what? That business plan is coming to a bank near you. No, I'm just kidding. Amazing. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you so much. I don't know if there's an actual market for that, but it sounded good when it came out of my mouth. It does Um, sound good. (laughs) You think you're going to keep in the yogurt game for a while? We are going to expand out and really make sure that we're hitting our audience, our yogurt-loving audience first, and then we'll see what the demand is after and where life takes us. Again, it's like we're just kind of running around and seeing where where it takes you. There is a country song. It's a really, really country song. Uh Um, But the one part of it says... It's like driving down the highway going 60 miles an hour and then checking the steering wheel out the window. I feel like that's (laughs) what this is. So we'll see where the path goes. (laughs) Well, I think on that note, we're going to – there's nothing better that I could end with other than the visual of throwing the steering wheel out the window. You might be going 90 miles an hour. That's the only thing. Maybe not just 60. Um, But Haley, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so much fun. I'm so rooting for you guys. And I hope you know that. I think you know that. And um, I'm just so excited to see to see this product in the world and to see what y'all build. And I'm, I'm just happy for you. So thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Allie. There's a lot more journey in the future as we continue to cross paths. Yes, totally. And Armin, as always, very much appreciate you engineering and being flexible on timing. Um, you are the best. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. And listeners, um, I have not been posting a lot on LinkedIn. You've probably noticed that if you are interested in me at all. Um, Just feels like a weird time in the world to be talking about, you know, CPG. So I do appreciate um, the DMs and I appreciate a bunch of you have reached out and been like, everything, where are you? I'm okay. All is well. Um, And um, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.